Welcome to the Early Years Voice. This podcast is dedicated to everything early years education for practitioners, but also anyone who cares about the informative years. Each podcast will give you the practical ideas, top tips, and most important aspects from our guest speakers. I'm Susie Chamcheng, a specialist tutor for trainee early years teachers, and I'm joined by Phil Manley, Communication Manager for EQ Teacher Training. Thanks, Susie, and hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Today, I'm speaking with Di Writer from Writer Read. Um, her website is Writer Read, and from her website, she talks a lot about nurturing and supporting the understanding of phonics. So, hi, Di. It's nice hello, to have you with hi. us today. Nice to be with you. Thanks for asking me on. Hi, Di. Yeah, Thanks for joining I know us. that we had hi. you recently on our EYITT course with our trainees and I know we've had a lot of positive feedback from your training sessions that you did with us. Um, one thing that came up quite a lot was how interesting people, the trainees thought introducing pure sounds to small babies because I think the idea of phonics is that it sort of starts preschool into reception but you really talk a lot about introducing pure sounds to small babies so I'd really love to touch on that as a starting point. Yeah, no, thanks. I I am absolutely passionate about the fact that we should be normalising, and I talk a lot about that, um, phonics for our communities and starting with the very youngest members of our communities um, and just demystifying this whole phonics arena that we find in education. Mm -hmm. And that absolutely to introduce it to the very smallest um, of our children, um, to me, is absolutely vital for putting together building blocks for future reading and writing development. Um, so, yeah, I am absolutely that is my core is about introducing it to babies, to babies, families, um, to grandparents, to carers, so that it's just normalised. So that by the time the children do reach preschool and um, reception, they have this toolkit that I talk about to be able to access the learning at that developmental stage when it's appropriate for them. And so if we are thinking, considering small babies and someone's listening in that works in a baby room or predominantly with toddlers, how can we start introducing those pure sounds? I think the most important thing is that practitioners are confident with their own personal usage of pure sounds. And I think it's um, from my practice, it's Phonics is a really difficult arena for some people to feel confident to practice with and at times might find, I mean, some of the pure sounds, you know, they feel quite embarrassing at times to say, you know, if we're babbling in it yeah. and mm -hmm. to, to walk around going for R just feels very uncomfortable. But mm. actually within our settings, if we have a provision where the whole pedagogy towards phonics is that this is what we're going to be doing, it's normalised and I come back to that word again. So I think for all of the children, but especially for the babies, this confident use by colleagues to know their pure sounds and to feel confident to use them is the most important thing. Leading on from that, um, it's all about visual cues within the environment and right. this and having pictorial representations of 
phonics. So you've got the grapheme, the letter, the writing alongside a pictorial representation. And babies take in their environments. It's a huge, um, their vision becomes quite a big sense for them around what they're taking in. And this whole approach to environments staying relatively static so that um, cues are there all the time. They don't change. Yeah. It doesn't become um, confusing for our babies, toddlers, um, and for older children and for us as adults, actually, this long term um, cues around rooms, around the provision for me after the learning of your pure sounds is really important. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying, actually. And I think it is just I know the settings that I've worked in, it's almost like um, not that the baby rooms just don't it's it's not part of their, what you know, their daily routines or yeah. Um, or just or having so I think having them around having those prompts around um, could actually really support people if they aren't feeling that confident I remember I loved in your training that you told us quite a few times you told the trainees to be brave yeah yeah and that's my biggest message is that we we as practitioners have to be brave and I've worked in in schools and in situations where you know what you're doing is best practice um, but actually colleagues around you um, maybe feel that they're doing best practice. And, and there's this kind of challenge, I guess. Why on earth would we be teaching phonics to babies? That's absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. But it, it's about um, mindsets of whole provisions. And I talked to mm. um, our delegates about, um, you know, this whole systems approach and that we need our leaders, our managers, on board with what we're doing and for one yeah. small person if you like within that potentially quite large setting to take that on is is really huge and that's why I champion having people like me other colleagues whoever going in to be that almost voice at times um, for colleagues to have that conversation and to have the strength to put forward and challenge um, sometimes um, in a very positive way the practice that's happening um, and I appreciate baby rooms are super, super busy, as are the whole of, of, of the provision. Um, yeah. But it's ultimately um, it's doing the very best within our roles for those children. And I firmly believe that this normalisation of phonics is one part of doing our very best. Yeah. And I think it's important now as well with, you know, the statistics coming out from Ofsted regarding communication and language, because this yeah. is the the basis of that isn't it it's another yeah. element of it yeah absolutely and the more secure language the children are receiving from us and I mm. you know I absolutely work with families as well and do training sessions for families it's um children are with us for so long in our provisions that if we're getting it right for them then hopefully the conversation is right at home but we also know ch yeah. many children aren't getting that pre-language um, support from home you know with the best will in the world some families just don't do that and that enriched language is really important yeah no I agree and I, I think touching back on you know earlier settings and the busyness um, and also the pressure you know uh, we've discussed previously about you know how difficult it can be to offer 
all these things to the children in our care and you want the best for them. So if we're looking at phonics in regards to early reading and writing, because obviously the, you know, the changes in the EYFS have increased what children are able to do at the end of reception. Um, so how can we support those children with if we're thinking phonics and early reading and writing? Do you have any um, any thoughts around that? Yeah, I think, I mean, I come back to this um, this normalisation and demystifying and the fact that if we set up our provisions, our settings, our rooms to yeah. enhance the um, learning of phonics in a almost subconscious way, well, it is a subconscious way um, for our very early children, that actually by the time they reach preschool and then we're looking at their um, goals for the end of reception the very fact that they've got this toolkit with them that actually those goals are not easier for them to reach but they're more able to reach them because they've got this toolkit and most children and I absolutely appreciate there'll be children um, who have diagnoses around um, special educational needs and disabilities, but you know they may well not do that. But let's not discriminate these children and the very fact that we've given them this toolkit. And I talk a lot about we don't know what we can't see what our children's brains are absorbing. Yeah. So for early reading and writing, absolutely, this whole embracing of phonics. But alongside that, everything that our colleagues do so very very well, singing nursery rhymes mm, um yes. body percussion yeah. all these wonderful things that staff already have so beautifully embedded into practice doesn't need to change but it mm -hmm. would be enhanced by um everything else that i'm suggesting and we're starting i'm starting to now collate um through a few pilot studies the fact that it is actually working um so yeah i think most of what we do, most of what our colleagues do is very, very geared towards early reading and writing, um, yeah. mark making and singing and just general what the provisions offer. But I feel we need to dovetail it now um, with what I'm with what I'm all about, I guess. Right. OK, so that it's sort of, you know, it's all kind of leading towards that. Yes. And that these early tools that we give them and. I know we're going to talk in a, in a while about working memory, but this whole post-it note, as I call it, where children will just see something briefly and it goes on to this post-it note that they lock into their brains, that will all then come out when they are developmentally ready to start reading and writing. We're not, yeah. we're not discussing making children more intelligent. I'm not talking about accelerating reading and writing. I'm talking right. about supporting the children so that when they come to read and write it's less it seems it, it's more seamless I guess yeah is what I'm saying yeah yeah I think that makes sense I'm a big advocate for uh, modeling to children mm. as well and the importance of um of them seeing us doing things so in in regards to you know the pure sounds as well yeah if they are around and they are being modelled and being looked at, being, you know, talked about and all that kind of thing, that is going to have an impact as well, isn't it? Yeah, and that's really, really important. And that's, again, why in um, our training we talk about the government are very much 
wanting well, well they have a they have they, they used to recommend letters and sounds and that was kind of the go-to for phonics mm, yes. and they are now being very much more and it's great the department of education they're very much recognizing lots of other schemes but yeah. my message is is it's fine to have a scheme it's fine to have several schemes but that most of those schemes are very visual they are interactive online which is I do not um, condone, you know, that that's fine. But as you say, it's very, very important that children see us modelling it as mm. other human beings. A lot of yeah. these phonic schemes are characterizations, and that they're hearing them, but they're seeing our mouths move. And it doesn't need to be. We don't need to spend lots of money on schemes. We just need mm. to we need to get right what we're doing. So you're absolutely right. This whole modeling of what we're doing, I feel, is far more powerful than children going and having a few minutes experience of. That can be good for consolidation to have yes. this experience of going and playing a game, you know, a phonics game or whatever. But it's the it's the actual, yes, the visual cues they're getting from us from our mouths is really important and it's that's one thing to say for colleagues actually is whether it's you go on my website or you you, you look at YouTube but um, to go online and hear all the pure sounds being said perfectly and practicing sort of in private with them or with a friend is really important and certainly on the right to read website you can do that but I do you know you can go online and, and YouTube have got lots as well um, but it is yeah. really important that colleagues practice that so that when we are we are um, modelling, we're doing it correctly. There is no point and it can be quite damaging to model incorrectly. But I don't want that to scare colleagues. We just need to go and, and practice it and feel confident that we're getting it right. I was I was just wondering if, if I might ask a question on the on the, 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 the settings that are delivering the phonics training. How much um, how much you feel that um, you know, parents and and carers of children at home are able to take home, and how much awareness they have of phonics. I, I remember being a, a parent myself with a, a daughter in a nursery. I, I didn't really know about phonics no. when she started there, and I kind of learned about it through the nursery. But I mean, for a lot of it, I, I don't. I, we, we were doing things that were teaching phonics. I think in hindsight, but I don't know that it's what I was doing. I think we would we we were taking things home that we were told were good advice. But um, yeah, I'm not sure we 100% knew the ins and outs of phonics and what it is but we're probably participating in it along the way yeah no I I really I really appreciate that and I it's something that in settings I have managed but then also I now go in and work with working with the families of the children is as vitally important as almost working with your colleagues because if parents it's demystified for parents as well and, and carers and grandparents um, and phonics becomes normalised at home. It obviously has that ripple effect out into the community um, for all of us, but it's enhancing your child um, as well. And I think for me, it was when I was a nurse at the time, it was before I went into education, and my boys were coming home from school. They'd got their new book bags, and they were all in their shiny, lovely uniform, and, and they bought their reading book home. And, you know, there was kind of this... Um, disparity where they were saying mummy it's a uh, and I'm going you know and I've it's an r and it's a t and it's all these sounds that 
are so not helpful for supporting our children with their reading and writing. And so that was one of my passions was let's teach let's teach families. And it's a suggestion I have um, within the training is what are we doing for our families? And let's have them in. Let's have them in for 15 minutes. Let's have them in. Let's put um, messages up. Let's have a phoneme of the week as the children get older. You know, what is it we're doing with your children and signpost them to where they can hear the pure sounds? Um, just to have this general supporting of normalization of phonics. Definitely. Well, I think, yeah, I can remember even further down the line, my daughter coming home and telling me that we just used a, a split diagraph and yeah, phrases like this yeah. that I'd never heard of. And yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, she's taught me many things along the way. And the yeah. school and nursery before that taught me a lot of things that, yeah, I, like and I said, that I, hopefully would have come naturally, but probably not. I think we're learning a lot of things as, you know, because, yeah, and the, yeah. Ter the terminology is really, really important. And it's OK to be talking about digraphs in a baby room. It's OK to be talking about graphemes and phonemes. And children just absorb. I talk a lot about children's brains being sponges and this absorption of their learning. And I see, you know, we might see as practitioners the word digraph as being really, really scary. But actually, if it's used and we know what it is and we've introduced it to children, it's not scary. It doesn't need demystifying. It's already there. You know, it's already there. So when we are in reception and we're learning about split digraphs and we're learning about the naughty letter that jumps in the middle, as in the word cake, um, you know, it's not it isn't scary. They've already got that. It's not a it's not a barrier. I guess. And it's about breaking down barriers to support our children so that by the time they do reach the end of reception, um, they are reaching all the goals they need to be reaching. Hi, this is Phil at EQ, and you're listening to the Early Years Voice podcast with my colleague Susie Chemcheg. This is just a quick reminder that Susie and our guests today are discussing theory and practice that is included on EQ's Early Years Teacher Training Programme. This is a 12-month employment-based route to gaining EYTS or Early Years Teacher status. It's a part-time course, it's 100% online, fully DFE funded and is very much flexible around the demands of working in an Early Years setting. If you'd like to learn more about training towards your EYTS qualification, visit eyts.co.uk where you can learn more and get in touch with us. Thank you and now I'll let you get back to the conversation. So welcome back to our podcast and today we are talking with Di Reiter from um, Writer Read. We've already discussed some really interesting um, things about phonics in settings. Phil's given us the great perspective of a parent as well and trying to really demystify phonics for all of us um, and you know just so that we can support the children in the best way. So in our training, Di, you mentioned a working memory, which I think a lot of the trainees really found very interesting, yeah. you know, recognising good and, you know, poor working memory. So could you just go into a little bit more detail about how that can affect children, how we can spot it, how we can work with it and support yeah, them? Sure. I think the biggest thing is, is that actually we might not be able to spot it. And that's okay. okay, you know, that's okay not to be able to spot it. And I think it's more around, it's our, our job to be able to give all the children the tools that whether they've got good or poor working memory, it, we're giving them that toolkit. And the, we, we had a, um, a few statistics in our training where 15% of children um, 
within our settings will be affected by poor working memory. And actually, that's quite, to me, that's quite a high percentage. And it is as it is. They just, they have poor working memory. It's okay. But there are things we can do as the adults to help improve that. The other statistic that was uh, was really interesting was that 80% of those children won't ever be recognised as having a special educational need. They don't have a special educational need. They just, it's a part of them, their makeup, that they just have a poor working memory. Many children with special educational needs will have a poor working memory. Um, and potentially in the in the research, a lot of it is highlighted around um, children with ADHD and dyslexic children. But I'm not about labelling, mm. but that's what the research was telling us. But that, you know, we're only catching 20 percent of those children will will go on potentially to be diagnosed with it with an actual learning need. These are just children that have poor working memory. And so. Again, we just need to. It's another thing we need to do. But equally, um, if we get right this normalisation of phonics, we're there kind of with the working memory. And briefly, working memory is just a snapshot. It takes a few seconds for a child to see a picture, a cue, hear a sound, watch how a mouth is moving to make a pure sound. Um, practice doing a grapheme, whatever it is they're doing, hearing a nursery rhyme, it's a seconds, it's a few seconds capture of information that they put on what I call a post-it note. And this post-it note then gets sent to their brain and sits on a pile of post-it notes in in different areas actually of the brain. There are different areas that um, working memory is, is associated with and that's why our senses are so important. But it sits there and it's locked in And that gets locked in and it gets built upon and they'll see that cue again and go, oh, yep, that and in it goes again. So that when children do get to the stage where they're ready to need to know that a t is a t and it might be for toilet or terrain or whatever it's for, they pull it out into their long term. It's in their long term memory and they can pull it out. And it's. Yeah, it's just for all of the children and for us as adults, actually, there's many people, many of us walking around um, with poor working memory. It's this cue for children. And the other vital thing for us to do is break down any tasks we want children to do into small pieces. And that is that's important for all children anyway. We give children long lists of things to do and that's really confusing for them. And then they fail. Mm. They can't go and put mm-hmm. their shoes on, put their coat on, stand in a queue, um, you know, and do all of this sort of thing. Um, and for some children, I mean, some children can, but it's really stressful for children. Right, I've got to get my coat and I've got to get my shoes on. Oh, my gosh, Lily's already at the front. And it's really, yeah. really, you know, let's go and all put our coats on and all put our shoes on, and then we will all line up together. Let's, you know, so it's it's breaking down as well. Otherwise, um, we talk about with working memory, children becoming bombarded with information. And if children are bombarded with information, they shut the doors and they go, no, thanks. I'm not even going to attempt to access what you're wanting me to do because I just can't do it. And they can see that other children are doing it. And then that becomes even more stressful and the barriers go down. And we see it in reception. We see it in 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 sort of the latter stages of our early years. 
where children will just shut the barriers and they go, right, I can't read or I can't write. And it becomes really, really tricky for them. So working memory is really, really important. Um, and yeah, it's about breaking things down, doing things um, in a sequential um, manner and having these auditory, visual, kinesthetic cues around settings for children to access yeah. to just get these post-it notes labelled in their brains. Yeah, um, it's really important. Yeah, I really like that. I like the idea of breaking things down. I know as an adult, I prefer that as well. Yeah. Um, when you when you get over, you have that feeling of overwhelm and children feel that quite acutely, don't they? They do. So, and, they, and they exhibit it in, you know, we can say, gosh, that was really overwhelming. Children mm. will exhibit it in behaviour. And then we get Absolutely. into the we get into the oh so and so is just really naughty or oh my goodness or oh, he's not going to sit down or she's not going to sit down or come on come and join us well if you're in a situation you're almost in a fright and flight situation you're not going to go and join the group because it's just too much for you and this mm. whole sensory overload and um, is just yeah it's just too much for children and it was quite interesting when we did the training because you could see delegates heads nodding and and one lady you know she talked about a child she straight away could recognize in her class that actually was you know he probably was showing signs that actually he needed more support around working memory because it was mm. just all too much for him i think um to finish to to round up and finish off our our podcast today I would like to ask you for your top tip which you know is anything early years related but it's always a nice practical way to finish up yeah um, for our listeners yeah I think my biggest top tip tip to um everyone is to be brave to go out there and do quality practice and even if you've got colleagues saying to you oh no you know I've been here 30 years and this is how we've always we, how we've always done it oh I you hate know, just, that saying yeah, I'm sure that happens, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I've had it done to me and it's like well actually hang on a minute so I say be brave and don't ever mm. underestimate the abilities of these very gorgeous young people that we're privileged to look after so yeah. let's give babies the equipment around them through their senses through especially visual and auditory cues the the chance to be able to absorb stuff if we don't give children that um that free that freedom to be able to absorb stuff we won't ever know what they're capable of and so yeah be brave and just go out there and allow children to absorb stuff yeah fantastic and how if if we do have our listeners they would like to find you your website how would we find you Di? yep you can find me at writerread um dot co dot uk and it is literally just me so um there's phone numbers on there there's email if you want anything if you just want to chat um you want me to come and visit you and just do a walk around um, I'm very I'm so passionate about it I'm very happy to come out and just meet with people to just look at settings and to hopefully reassure you that we're not I'm not asking you to do anything extra I'm almost asking you to do less because if we get it right we don't need to change it 
and then we've got time to do other things like yeah so yeah come and find me um and i will absolutely get back to you and talk to you come meet you um yeah and just do whatever i can to support fantastic thank you so much for your time today di well thank you for joining us so much for asking me and yeah it's just a huge pleasure thank you Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to the Early Years Voice podcast with me, Phil from EQ, and Susie Chem Cheng, Early Years Teacher Training Lead at Equalitas. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast. And as mentioned earlier, if you are considering studying towards your employment-based EYTS, Early Years Teacher Status, do visit eyts.co.uk where you'll find lots more information about the training program funding and eligibility and everything else that you need to know so uh, hopefully you'll join us for the next podcast and uh, we'll look forward to, to speaking with you again then thank you